0: Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We're uh, continuing the series. Last week we talked about deception, and uh, today I want to talk about offense, unforgiveness, and bitterness and uh, I was like, how could we cleverly say that? But I, but I think it's just good today that we be a little bit direct. We had a, a thing happen years ago uh, when I was youth pastoring, and I was at Kmart. Y'all remember that store called Kmart? And I, I part, uh, was walking out to my car after I was in Kmart. I don't know why I was there, but I was walking out, and there was a, a young girl there that had visited our student ministry. And she was like, hey, I know you. And I was like, hey, what's up? Where do you know me? She's like, I went to that thing, that place. And uh, she didn't call it church. She didn't call it youth group or anything like that. She said, and you were yelling at us. (laughs) I I said, I said, uh, said, well, I wasn't yelling at you. I was yelling for you. And so she's like, oh, okay. She said, I remember I cried a lot. I was like, (laughs) I hope that's a good thing. So I'm not here today to preach at you. Uh, today it might be a little bit more sensitive, but but today I do want to preach for you. I do I do believe God wants to set you free today, and so I, I, I would encourage you to open your heart and just engage. And so John chapter uh, ten verse seven, uh, picking up kind of where we were at last week. I am the gate for the sheep, and all who have come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not. Listen to them. And that's what we're really focusing in on this series, not listening to the voices of the thieves and robbers, but listening to the voice of the shepherd. Jesus says, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find safe pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have life to the full, that you might have the over, overabundant, overflowing life. And then he says this in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. I'm leading you in to life. And what we're talking about is how the enemy will come in and try to lure us away and try to get us to, to allow him into our Pin, if you will, so he can steal from us, so he can rob from us. And the only way that happens, listen, is if we listen to his voice. It's really the only way it happens. It only happens, listen, the enemy only has authority where you listen to him, where you allow him into your life. And so, one of the ways that he lures us in and he steals from us. And he locks us up is through this thing called offense, unforgiveness, and bitterness. This is probably the most critical thing for the economy of your heart. And some of you are like, I wish I felt more connected to the Lord. I wish, you know, I felt this certain way. I, I wish I could lead my heart better. I wish I was a little bit deeper. Listen, I believe that that so much of that is... is is contingent upon your ability to keep the economy of your heart in the black, right? And so many of us are living in the red in our heart, right? We're just trying to live day to day, emotionally, we're drained, all these things. So the enemy, what he wants to do is he wants to trap you to keep you locked into that place. And one of the ways he does that is through offense. So uh, 10 years ago, in 2010, we we had been uh, serving in El Paso for about 11 years, and we were we were running hard, man. I I I'd ran a hard hard uh, race there. Awesome, phenomenal move of God. We were really experiencing what I look back at now as a as a real renewal in our student ministry. God was doing some incredible things in our life, but we were we were as a couple uh, very drained. We had two small kids, Moriah and Judah, at the time, and you know, learning to parent, learning all those things, learning marriage, which you know we were like five years, five six years in. And uh, things were difficult. We kind of felt like we were on a treadmill in life. So we went to some people to get help. And we were hurt deeply by the people that we went to to help. Have you ever done that? Like you've reached out for help to someone, and the person that's supposed to help you actually hurt you. And so we were already in a vulnerable place. We were seeking out help. We were seeking comfort. We were seeking safety. And what we got was hurt. And so that led through this crazy journey of being fired from an 11-year position. Uh, and, you know, there was a, a lot of rumors circulating. There were people questioning our loyalty. People were questioning our character. There were accusations made about us being immoral. People were saying that there was an affair going on, which there wasn't. There, were, there was all this, all these labels that were allowed to kind of be put on us by, by people that, that knew that the labels were inaccurate. Uh, we, were, we were called unqualified for ministry. We were considered lazy. All these things were, were, were put on us. And then to top it all off, we were not able to adequately, adequately have closure with so many of the people that we invested 11 years of our life to. And so we were very, very wounded by the church. Very wounded, very hurt. And, and, and I know people that have gone through a lot harder things, but I've also known people that have gone through a lot less and they were done. I mean, there's a lot of, of men and friends in my life that are out of ministry today because they went through less than that. And so we could not control what was happening to us. It was absolutely out of our control. We did everything we did. We, do, we, you know, if, if we got counsel. We sought counsel. We had conversations. We did everything we could, but, but we could control one thing. We could control one thing, and that was our decision. We could control one thing. We could control the economy of our heart. We could try to defend ourselves. We could do all that. None of that would help. So what we said is, you know what? We will maintain a pure heart. Through this, and what we saw was the grace of God. What we saw is the grace of God. What we saw was miracles. What we saw is people showing up at our door. Whenever I went from making six weeks, what I would make in two weeks at a job, we see people show up with checks at our door. We saw uh, people loving on us without, listen, without going to them and trying to defend ourselves. But just saying, you know what, we're going to take the quote unquote high road. We're going to be humble. We're going to trust the Lord. And we saw God's grace sustain us. We chose that we were going to be better, that we weren't going to allow this event, and even the quote-unquote mistreatment, we weren't going to allow that to make us bitter. But we were going to stay in the grace pocket. We were going to stay in that place to say, God, we want to see you move. And we saw God just do incredible things. You know, Proverbs says this in uh, verse uh, chapter 4 verse 23 it says above all else guard your heart above everything else about defending yourself above above making sure that everybody else does right what you need to do above anything else is guard your heart put a watch over your heart and what we found listen because we did that what we what we found is that in our di- rejection god brought direction in our rejection god brought direction And because of that, listen, because of that season, we met friends that we would have never met. We moved to a city we would have never moved to. We learned about community and relationships and friendships. We would have never learned that. We would have never gotten healthy enough to have our youngest kids, Elisa and Uriah. We would have never gotten to the position of being healthy if these things wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have been in Amarillo eight years ago. And God put dropping a seed, a bomb seed in our heart called Overflow Church. That would have never happened if we would not have protected our heart. None of that would happen. I wouldn't know you. There's about three or four people in this room that I would know. But thank God because we remained in the pocket, listen, because we kept our heart tender. And I'm not boasting. Listen, I'm not saying that we did that. I don't think that we did that because we were so spiritual. It was just because we we needed the grace of God so bad. And so we were willing to do whatever it took to position ourselves for it. So I want to talk today a little bit about what I've seen many times when people face a difficulty, when people face an offense, when people are mistreated, an event happens that's beyond your control. And because I, I do think that whether it destroys you or whether it positions you, is up to you. It's really your choice. And so I want to talk today about uh, progressive destruction. Progressive destruction. And listen, the way the devil does it is, is so deceptive, and it's so subtle, and he justifies it in our mind. You have every right to be mad. You have every right to defend yourself. What they did does it wrong. And listen... It doesn't matter. I'm not responsible for the other person's actions. I'm just responsible for mine. I can't control their heart. I can only control mine. And so we go through this difficult thing. So the first thing that happens is called offense. How many of you have ever been offended? How many of you are offended already in the message today? Or you know, you were offended yesterday. Maybe it something you saw. We have there are so many opportunities for offense. We live in an offended culture, don't we? Uh, Jesus says that you know that many will be offended in Matthew chapter twenty four verse ten. Many will be offended, and they will betray one another and will hate one another. Uh, Proverbs eighteen nineteen says this: an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. That's intense. So the age that we live in, there's great opportunity for offense. You know, through this thing called social media, we're all so connected. But it's not a deep connection. It's not a heart connection. It's a surface connection. So it leaves room for offense. It leaves room for misunderstanding. Right? And what does that do? That robs us of joy. It disrupts our peace. Right? We, it disrupts our sleep. We're thinking about an argument that we got in with somebody that we don't even know. Someone that has that really has no right to really guide anything in my life. So dig, this dig, even through texting and all these kind of things, digital communication robs us from a lot of tone and a lot of body language. And then what happens is we get into this thing called misunderstanding, and that breeds offense, and we get offended. And it might not be, listen, it might not be this big, like, huge, like, oh, I'm so offended. I'm so woke. It might not be like that. It might just be a little thing in your heart where you're just like, I just don't really like that. I don't really like that about that person. And then what we mostly start identifying that person with is pain. Right? When we think of that person, all we can think of is pain. What is that? That's offense. And if you're not careful, it will go deeper than that. So Jesus makes that statement, many will be offended. Beloved, you will get offended. There will be things for you to get offended by. Things will hurt your feelings, if you want to call it that. But really, hurt your feelings is just an offense. Maybe you can get over it quickly. Maybe it takes you weeks, months. Some of us, we get over things pretty quick. I used to be a lot quicker I found that the older I get, the little bit, I hold on to things a little longer. I don't like that. But I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I keep my heart tender so it doesn't settle in there. Um, so you will get offended, but the question is, will you stay offended? Will you stay offended? Uh, the, the Greek word for offense is scandalon, And that, it, the, the word is, is from where we get the word trap. It was a trap used to hold bait in order to lure animals. So offense is a trap. It's a trap of the devil. It's not God, God's not trying to trap you with your offense. Somehow we live in a culture that we think if we're offended, we're right. Actually, if you're offended, you're immediately wrong in the eyes of God. You've just, you've just done wrong by being offended. It's not to say that we shouldn't stand up for injustice. It's not to say that we, sh- we shouldn't be righteously indignant about things. But as soon as you take it personal and you can't see anybody the way that Jesus sees them, you have then become offended. And it's a trap, you on. You've bought into this trap. You've, you've bought into this. The enemy has set up a mouse trap and he's put a piece of bait on there and you took it. And destruction has started. Destruction has started. So the enemy uses it to trap us. He uses people's words, their actions to get our minds stirred up, our emotions. He uses this bait to lure us into a lifetime of bitterness, resentment, regret, unforgiveness, strife, hatred, and revenge. Many, many things, about what people call justice is revenge. What we want is. What we want is perfect justice, and there's only one place to find perfect justice. It's at the throne of perfect mercy. Perfect. Listen, perfect justice is perfect mercy because we're all wrong. At our core, at our beginning, we are all wrong. We are all wrong before the eyes of a holy God. This is why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come because you were a good person. <laughs> Right? Why would he die for you if you were so good already on your own? No, he died because you were you were far away from him, in your wickedness, in your thoughts, in your offense. So, if you're offended, beloved, if you're prone to being offended, run, run from offense. So that's kind of the first level. The second level is this: is unforgiveness. So offense is one thing, to be bothered, for it to just kind of set in. It's another thing to be unforgiving. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus takes unforgiveness really, really seriously. In fact, he, he probably treats this more intense than anything else. Then Peter came up to him and asked, Matthew eighteen twenty one Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And then Peter is being noble, right? He's like, hm, watch this, Jesus. Look how spiritual I am. How many times should we forgive someone? How about like seven times? One for every day of the week. And Jesus is like, you're almost there, Peter. How about 70 times seven? How about like 490 times? He wasn't really putting a number on it. He was basically putting in an infinity symbol at the end of it. He's saying, listen, as many times as they offend you, you forgive them. And our justification is this, is if I, if I forgive someone, then, then, then what I'm doing is I'm giving their permission to keep screwing up. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but you're not responsible for what they do. You're only responsible for what, what you do with what happens. So Peter was thinking he was being benevolent and grace-filled, and then Jesus turns the table. I think Peter was like, Lord, when does this grace thing run out? How much grace is too much grace? You want to know when, when grace has met its capacity? When it draws those that are wicked, that's when it's reached its capacity. When you've forgiven somebody enough times to where they truly repent and they change. That's when grace has, quote, unquote, met its limit. It really didn't meet its limit yet. But it's when it brings them out, not when it pushes them away. And what we want is we, we, we do this, right, one more time, one more time, and I'm done. And the heart of God is like, it doesn't matter. See, He's not the God of the second chance, He's the God of the two billionth chance. He's given you two billion chances, or whatever bigger number you can think of. Unlimited forgiveness. (laughs) How many times? How many times are you going to forgive your spouse? Do you, do you want to do you use you as the example? How many times you should? Or even your psychologist? Jesus says as many times as it takes for them to stop doing. So the, the key to get people to stop sinning is not hold them to their sin. The key to get people to stop sinning is to keep giving them grace. <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, that's what God did. So unforgiveness is a big deal to God. I would suggest this. Potentially, it's the biggest. Potentially, unforgiveness is the biggest deal to God. So Peter tells, Peter and Jesus are having this conversation, and then Jesus gives Peter this story. He says, okay, he's like, this is what it's like, Peter. Just so you understand what I'm talking about, just so you understand the magnitude of forgiveness, I want to explain it to you this way. There is a king, and he has some servants. And Jesus says the kingdom's like this. I love it when he says that because he's like, this is a broad topic we're dealing with. He says the kingdom is like this: a king has all these servants, and some of those, and, and if you're a servant, the reason why you're a servant is because you're in debt. Pretty much all servants in scripture, it's it's because of debt. And so one of the servants that owes him, really in the in the original language, what it's trying to paint here, it's really an unlimited amount of number numbers. So let's just say billions. So this servant owes him billions. And the king says, "You know what? It's time to settle my accounts." So he goes out and he starts gathering people up that owe him money, and he runs across this servant that owes him billions. And he says, "It's time for you to pay your dues." I mean, it's that's just thing, right? It's time for you to pay your dues. And he says, "Well, uh Okay, and he says, if you don't pay your dues, I'm going to gonna take your family into servanthood. And I'm going to throw you in jail and punish you until your dues are paid. And then it says that he begged the king. That he begs the king to cancel his debt. And guess what he does? He cancels his debt. Beautiful. I mean unlimited amount of debt, and he says, it's done. I It says that he had pity on him. Because of his repentant heart, it says that he had pity on him. The king did. And so what this servant does is as soon as he's released, and this is the point of the story, is he goes from there, and he finds a guy that owes him a couple of thousand dollars, basically about three months' worth of wages. So we're talking about multiple lifetimes of wages, Versus about three months, he goes and finds one of the fellow servants who owes him money. He has just been forgiven in this huge debt he goes, and one translation says it this way that he grabs the man by the throat and he tells him, "Where is the money that you owe me?" I mean, he just got forgiven of multiple lifetimes of debt, grabs him by the neck and says, "Where are my three 9,000 dollars, whatever? 20,000 dollars." And he says, I'm sorry, I don't have it. And so what he does to this man is he has him jailed, thrown in jail and tortured. He says, and you will stay here until you pay me back. So the king gets wind of it. He He gets wind of how this man, how he had extended mercy to this man and this man was not extended mercy. And he goes and he finds the man. And this is what he says. Well, then he takes him and then he throws him in jail and he has him punished. And it says this, this is what. This is intense. Listen, this is what, Matthew 18, 35, this is what the, my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. See, when we refuse to forgive others, all the sins that we've been forgiven of come right back on our life. Beloved, it is a big deal to God. The greatest injustice that can be committed is when we won't extend the forgiveness that we have freely received. It's The, great, the greatest injustice in the world is that when a Christian has been cleansed of their sins, yet they want to hold somebody else accountable for theirs. It's the greatest injustice in the world. He who has been forgiven so much should give forgiveness freely. I'm preaching for you today. Listen, exercising forgiveness is the greatest form of being like Jesus. There is nothing more that you can do than being like Jesus, than forgiving somebody who has wronged you. Remember when he's on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't even know, Father. Forgive them. They're killing me. They don't even know who they're killing. Will you forgive them? There is nothing more like the heart of Jesus than forgiving someone who has mistreated you. So when we fail to forgive others, we rob ourselves of forgiveness. And somebody got like, well, that's that's a heavy thing. Listen, you said you wanted to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like. Following Jesus looks like forgiving people that mistreat you, that use you, that sin against you. That's what it looks like. They're an evil person. I get it. I know, but you were too. And if you are holding on to unforgiveness, you're in the same place they are. You're evil. I'm preaching for you today. I love you. And then the, so we have these, these two levels, offense, and if we don't deal with that, it becomes unforgiveness. I could never forget what that person did to me. I forgive but not forget. That's not what forgiveness looks like. You need to just remove that phrase because that it, you think Jesus is like that? Do you think that's what God's forgiveness? No, it says that he can't remember your sin anymore. Okay. The third level is this, the third level of destruction because this is the thing is it's really destroying you. You think you're holding something, you get somebody as a, as a as a way to punish them, it's punishing you. The third level is this is bitterness. Bitterness. So offense robs you from freedom. Unforgiveness robs you of forgiveness. And bitterness robs you of life. And this is why you have this staple of like older people, right? They're old and bitter, right? We've heard that before, right? (laughs) We should be old and bitter, but many people get old and bitter. Why? Because things have happened to them. They've harbored them. They haven't forgiven. And then it's grown in the soil of their heart. And now they have this thing called bitterness. And so they act bitter, Why? Because there's bitter in the root. I feel like the Lord gave me this picture, but let me suggest to you what bitterness is or what bitterness does. Bitterness takes the sweetness away. Remember how sweet you were? Remember how, how tender you were when you were a child and then as you went through life and, and, th- and life began to drain you and people began to offend you and, and all this stuff started happening to you by people by, by, by people that should have done you right. And as you get older, your heart got harder. You know what that is? That's bitterness. And bitterness takes the sweetness away. It takes the sweetness away out of life. And so I'm telling you this today, beloved, not because I'm, I'm putting a high demand on you. I'm telling you this because part of the reason why some of you are struggling is because you have bitterness in your heart. And God wants you free from that. He wants you to experience the sweet life. So th- this is the picture I feel like the Lord gave me. First of all, is, is offense is a seed. Do we have this? Offense is a seed. It's the seed of Offense. It's going to happen to all of us. We will all be handed, if you will, a seed of offense. What will you do with that seed? Crush it? (laughs) Throw it away? This is what most people do. We bury it in the soil of unforgiveness. So we take that offense and we put it down deep in our heart and we go, I'll never forget. Right? Right? If you did it to me once, shame on you. If you did it to me twice, shame on me. Statements like that, what is that? That's all offense put in the ground. And I know some of y'all probably even said that this week. It's not saying that you don't exercise wisdom. Come on. What's the posture of your heart? And you bury it in the soil of unforgiveness. Right inside your heart. The problem is, is once seeds get buried, they begin to grow. And so what happens is bitterness grows into a root. And if you've ever seen a root that has, like, all those little things, I know it's not the best drawing in the world, but, but it begins to, like, you know, you see some things come up, you begin to see. The reason why, listen, the reason why it's on the branches is because it's in the root. And it's in the root way before it's in the branches, So you're acting ugly to people, and you're short with people, and you're angry, frustrated most of the time. It's because there's bitterness in the roots. The only way to deal with that is to uproot the bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12 describes it this way. He says, work at living in peace with everyone. Work at it. It's work to live at peace with people, right? And work at living a holy life. Work at it. Work, it takes work to live a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And then he says it. That it I, I think he's in the same stream here. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Make sure that everybody around you is receiving grace. Guess who's giving grace away? You are. So make sure that everybody around you is receiving grace. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Make sure that it doesn't trouble you, that it doesn't disrupt the economy of your heart. But then he says this, corrupting many. Because this is what happens, is we plant that seed of offense in our heart. do It breeds in unforgiveness. It begins to sprout these roots, and they go everywhere, and they start spreading out. And then it begins to come out on the tree, and then that tree produces seeds of bitterness, and it falls on people, and they get offended. And then they don't forgive. And now they're bitter. And what you become is a bitter orchard planting seeds of bitterness into other people instead of grace because you haven't learned the art of forgiveness. And this is the deal about this root. The longer it lingers, the larger it grows. Time don't heal wo- all wounds. We had an awesome marriage conference this weekend. They hit on this also. Time doesn't heal all wounds. I would suggest this that time causes bitterness to set in deeper. So the longer it lingers, the larger it grows. Don't think your bitterness is gone. I'll just kind of put it in my heart and, you know, I'll deal with it. And the next thing you know, you're dealing with baggage 40 years from now. You're sitting in a counseling session 40 years from now and you're talking about how your dad said something that offended you that might not even have been that big of a deal. But because you let it sit and rest in your heart. Or something that preacher said that you didn't like, that you heard 30 years ago, you allowed it set in your heart. And not justifying what the preacher said or what the dad said, but because you allowed that to rest in your heart, now you're bitter and it's affecting your life and it's affecting the lives of those around you. The longer it lingers, the larger it grows. And the second thing is this, the larger it grows, the harder it is to remove. You ever try to remove a root? It's hard. It's work. I cut some trees down a couple weeks ago in my backyard. They'll grow back. You know why they'll grow back? Because I didn't get the root out. I went for the easy solution. Went and bought me a $50 chainsaw, which isn't very good. Chainsaw is electric, but I was like, I wanted to get rid of them, and so I just cut them down. They'll grow back. I expect them to grow back because I didn't get rid of the root. And many of you have been dealing with the fruit, but you don't deal with the root. And so it keeps coming back up. I want to help you. So, beloved, make haste. Make haste. Let's take this thing serious. If there's any little things, come on, let's just, let's just get it out. So the bitterness test. L- l- let me give you some practicals. This is the bitterness test. Am I bitter? <laughs> right? Are you bitter? No! I'm not b- <laughs> Okay. L- let's see. Are you bothered when someone who hurt you succeeds? Do you secretly hope for misfortune of those that have offended you? Well, God, God will deal with them. I've heard this from bitter people. Bitter people that I love and admire say this about people that have hurt them. Well, God will take care of them. God will have his justice. Like, do you, do you not see that there's, like, bitterness in that? In the rolling of your eyes? Are you generally skeptical of people, especially preachers and ministers? Are you generally skeptical? It's probably because you had a bad experience and you didn't deal with it. Beloved, you can only control the soil of your heart. Do you lead with criticism? Do you have a critical spirit? Some people confuse a critical spirit with an excellent spirit. It's not the same thing. I've had to learn that. I would always teach my design students, it's one thing to have a critical eye, it's another thing to have a critical spirit. I can look at something and say, oh, bless their heart, and help them, or I can look and be like, oh, they suck so bad, right? What's the difference? The posture of my heart. If it's on the branches, it's in the root. Are you unwilling to pray for them? Have you made statements like, I forgive but I'll never forget. That's the bitterness talking. And number 7 is this ask the Lord. And David David says this. In Psalm 139 he he prayed to the Lord he said Lord search me. And this is what I've had to do when I when I'm carrying around like things that's weighing on me I'm like Lord search me. Why am I so frustrated Lord? Well, I'm so bothered by this. Why can't? Why do I have to keep thinking about this? Search me, Lord. Show me. Show me if I have bitterness in my heart. I don't want it there, Lord. Ephesians four thirty. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, from whom you were sealed on the day of of redemption. Verse thirty one. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Slander is the fruit of bitterness. Then he says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Just just like Jesus forgave you. You didn't deserve forgiveness. You didn't deserve forgiveness. But he loved you enough to extend it. So how do we uproot bitterness? Because I want to help you. Number one, ask the Lord to make you tender. Lord, make me tender. And we, we bought into this lie that being tough will heal us. I won't let them in. I won't get close to anybody else again. I'll never have another conversation with that person. Why are you, You're saying that out of hurt. But what's happened is, is that seed is planted deep. The lie that we believe is that bitterness is protecting us. The reality is, is it's destroying you and corrupting many. That's the truth. So, don't, don't, you don't, listen, God don't need you to be tough. He needs you to be tender and trusting. That's where He wants you. Number two, go to that person. Maybe it's 30 years ago. When, when Pastor Leslie and I went through this, we were writing letters. Leslie was baking cakes on birthdays. I mean, we were doing everything that we could just to, Just to show some grace. then I'd be lying if I said that we weren't expecting some kind of, like, reconciliation. It didn't happen. But that wasn't on us. Matthew 18. I mean, how do you deal... And we live in a culture where if we don't like something, if someone hurts our feelings, we blast it on our platforms, our social media platforms. Or we tell our spouse, or you come to the pastor, listen, you come to me because you're offended with somebody in the church. The first thing I'm going to say is, did you talk to that person? Why would you do that? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. And I'm not going to allow you to walk in disobedience and sin when you bring an issue to me. You got criticism about a person, you go talk to the person. Don't come to me. I'm going to be your pastor. I'm going to lead you the right way. And I'm going to allow you to sin by gossiping to me about it, because that's really all it is, if you haven't talked to that person. If you've gone to them and gone to them and gone to them, then the Scripture says that you go and you get a brother and you go to them. That's the biblical model. Now, if you, and, and this is what I would suggest, is that you don't just go to that person, you lead with, I forgive you. And don't say, what you did was wrong to me, but I forgive you. You don't need to say that. That's what we do, right? I, I don't want to suggest what you did was right. You don't need to say all that. You already know what they did wasn't right. You're just saying, listen, I just want you to know that hurt me really bad. I don't know what your intentions were because half the time their intention wasn't to hurt you. I don't know what your intentions were, but I want you to know I forgive you. And I release you. You don't owe me anything. That's what it means to forgive. It means that you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me an apology. You don't owe me a relationship. You don't owe me anything. All you owe me is just I would hope would be, I forgive you. You don't even owe me that. Or I love you or any, no hug, nothing. I just go to you and I say, listen, I just want you to know, I forgive you. And then watch what God does. So some of you today need to send out text messages and you need to make phone calls. You need to have conversations. You say, well, I can't. That person's gone. Well, then this is what I would suggest. I would suggest you get before the Lord and you say, Lord, I forgive. Verbally say it, Lord, I forgive my father, for speaking those words over me. I forgive that teacher who made me feel so stupid when I was a kid and I've been carrying it around my whole life. Lord, I forgive that person. I release them. I release them. They have no authority in my heart anymore with what they said. You okay? I need to finish. Listen. Number three is bless those that hurt you. So when you pray for them, you don't go, Father, I pray that you make them repent. That's what we do. Father, I pray that they'll see what they're doing is wrong. This isn't the model of Jesus. He said, bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use them. Don't pray about them. Pray for them. Lord, I bless them in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that they would see the goodness of God all over their life. I pray, Lord, that you would invade their home with joy. I pray that their children will rise and call them blessed. You may even send them a check. I don't know. But bless them. Whatever you can do to bless them, bless them. Number four, celebrate their wins. When they succeed, that's awesome. I don't want them to succeed. I know, but you've got to uproot that root. Ask for tears when they ache. When they're hurting, ask the Lord. Lord, give me tears for them. I want my heart to ache for them. I've been there, man. I've been right there. I've wept over those that hurt me because I see they're experiencing heartache. And you know what happens? God doesn't work in me. Ask Jesus for his heart towards them. Number six, I'm, I'm, I'm nearing the end. I, I heard Bill Johnson talk about this one time. He said that there was a, a specific person, like a celebrity kind of person, and that he had a problem with, like that they just, uh, he had like a bad taste in his mouth. And he said that he would see their picture, like on a magazine, and he had pulled that out, and he would look at that picture. He said, and I would pray for them until I experience God God's pleasure over them. And so uh, several years ago, there was an election that took place. And I watched all these Christians gloating and being rude about a person that didn't get, didn't get elected. And I remember being really bothered by that. And so I started praying for this person that I didn't vote for, that I didn't particularly quote unquote like. And I just, I felt a tenderness in my heart. And I thought, man, God, what a gift that you would give me this tenderness it's not an endorsement. It's just from me. It's an endorsement from God that says that I love this person, even though many may, may label them as evil. I just I begin to to kind of like get a get a burden in my heart, and I prayed for that person. Lord, I pray that you comfort them. I pray that you'd reveal your goodness. And you know what happened to me? It made me soft. There's a story in Exodus. Chapter fifteen, and Moses is leading the children of Israel, and they haven't drank for days, and they show up at this uh, oasis called Marah, and Marah means bitter. And so they tried to drink the water, but they couldn't drink it because it was bitter. So God told Moses, he said, go get that stick over there. and I want you to throw it in the water. And it says that when he threw that stick in the water, it said that the water became, one translation says, the water became sweet. other word, the water, words, the water became suitable for drinking. And I think today what the Lord wants to do is he wants to uproot the stick of bitterness. And he wants to remind you of the cross that cross that was drove into the ground and then the Son of God was laid upon that cross to express forgiveness. I think he wants to say, I want to remove the root of offense and unforgiveness and bitterness, and I want to put in the center of your life the cross.